This is this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. This is fine. This is a poor substitute for therapy, but an excellent substitute for other podcasts. We're not like other podcasts. Join us as we find the answers to the universe's biggest questions like is butter a carb? Does crying burn calories? And what the fuck am I doing with my life? We're here to be your part-time therapist, astrologer, concierge doctor, and fairy godmother. Do you need someone to validate you today? Cool, cool, cool. Come on in. We're fine. This is fine. Hey, cuties, beauties, and my most beloved angel listeners. This is your host, Dominique, and I'm so grateful you've joined us today. I hope everything is fine in your world right now. We're rolling right into summer, which, first of all, wild. It was literally just January. Weird. But instead of thinking about the concept of time, let's chat about summer plans. You may have some upcoming travels, summertime soirees and barbecues, happy hours, beach days, and festive events that may or may not be centered around alcohol. For some of you, alcohol is an afterthought or not something that causes any kind of concern. And in that case, yay. You might be reevaluating your relationship with alcohol. I have plenty of friends who have gone through this, whether it's being sober curious, exploring what it means to be California sober, or doing a quote-unquote dry month, and so on. I have been fortunate enough to have friends who trust me with this part of their journey, thanks to my own relationship with alcohol. I have gone for long stretches of time, sometimes a year or more, without consuming any alcohol at all. Today, I enjoy the occasional Campari spritz or St. Germain spritz, a dry rosé or cabernet, but that's usually only while traveling or going out to eat for a special occasion. This approach to drinking isn't necessarily culturally normalized. In fact, the opposite is probably true. Think about like making yourself a drink after work, downing a bottle of wine after a breakup, you do you, no judgment, or drinking on every single first and second and third date, happy hours with coworkers, wine tasting weekends, beer bedecked barbecues, you get it. Alcohol is deeply entrenched in our cultural structure, which can normalize drinking to excess and even mask problems with moderation and addiction. To illustrate this, my BFF, Cheyenne Arnold, has volunteered as tribute to tell her story today. Actually, as of today, she is 104 days alcohol-free. She's going to walk us through the catalyst for this decision, what led up to it, and what the journey has been like since, as well as some thoughts and advice that she has for any of you considering this path as well. All right, let's get into it. All right, Shai, you know the deal. Are you fine today? Is this fine? Everything is fine. I'm so good. (laughs) Honestly, that's really beautiful. I'm so glad. Yeah, no, like nothing to report in the bad category. All good. Nothing bad. All right, let's structure this like one of those movies or shows that kind of jumps around in the timeline. Like, okay, today you're sober, but there was a pivotal doctor's appointment a few months ago. And then there was the lead up to that appointment. So like even before that, and then the time between the appointment and now there are so many twists and turns. I feel like we should start with the doctor's appointment story, like take us with you right into that like fluorescently lit chamber in New York. This was like the catalyst for you, right? Well, since we're framing this as a movie, should we talk about who's going to play me? Because I was thinking Lily James. I oh, I love Mama Lily Mia James, that, which is hilarious because I was like Amanda Seyfried from <laughs> Mamma Mia oh. 1. Wow. <laughs> Either or, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So present day, I'm sober. How many days sober am I? Like 104, I think. Yeah. And never in my wildest nightmares, I guess, when I was still (laughs) drinking, would I think that I would no longer be drinking. But here we are. I went to the doctor 
in mid-January for mm-hmm. a little lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> I had lost a lot of weight. I was shaking pretty much all the time. Like going downstairs was kind of scary. And he was touching my abdomen. And when he got to my upper right quadrant where my liver lives. Usually resides. I yelled, <laughs> I yelled in pain. Like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> Real loud. And he goes, oh, well, uh, yeah, your liver's probably swollen. And I said, yeah, no shit. Um, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> because I had been drinking a lot. I, I'm like, I, I drink a lot, not just in the six months leading up to that, but just historically, I'd say I'd like drink more than most of my friends. Um, but I remember last summer after coming back from Europe, I was like, damn, I really got to pump the brakes a little bit. And I knew myself moderation wasn't something that I could really do. But instead of slowing down, I ended up drinking more because I got into a relationship that was like centered around dive bars Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong, very fun for like 60 days and then the rest of it, not so fun. A story for a different podcast, perhaps. (laughs) So he goes, yeah, your liver's full. And I was like, yeah, that actually really, really makes sense. What do I do? And he goes, oh, well, you can never drink again. And I fell over on his table, not an exaggeration. I curled up into the fetal position and he said, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Are you fine? No, sir. No, sir. I'm not fine. (laughs) Told me I can never do the thing that I do like every weekend and like some weeknights and I really, truly enjoy it. And you just told me I can never do it again. And I, I was bartering with him. I was like, so you're saying like I go on vacation. It's my birthday. Can't have one glass of wine. And he goes, no, because you you wouldn't be able to stop at just one. And he later emailed me some social workers to reach out to, which really made me mad. So, and then like immediately on my way home, I, I think I was crying. I called my boyfriend at the time. And then after him, I called anyone I knew who was mm-hmm. a doctor looking for some like a second opinion. And um, all my friends were like, oh my God, don't worry. Just take a break. All my doctor friends, like you'll be yeah. fine. You'll drink again. But you know, he did freak me out. He was like, I want you to do, you know, some follow-up tests and all this. And he was, he was pretty serious. And so I told myself, I won't drink for a couple of weeks until I get my blood work back. Like he's probably, probably overreacting, but just in case, like, you know, I'm a recovering hypochondriac. So I did, it did get me a little bit, but then, (laughs) then the breakup happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's definitely a time when I would be drinking and I did for a little bit through that I sorry it's we're we're backing up in the movie timeline just a little bit around (laughs) that after the doctor's appointment my best friend her husband read this book about a year and a half ago called this naked mind and he stopped drinking after reading it he wasn't an alcoholic or anything but he really enjoyed it and he had told me about it before and so she sent it to me just since I was you know like trying to take a break and she thought it'd be interesting. So I'm reading this book as this is going on and the breakup happens. And I, um, I got a hotel room in the city just to like process my feelings and, and be in a different space. And I brought my journal, I brought my books, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I, um, ended up going day drinking before I checked in. And then I got a bottle of wine room service. And then next thing I knew, I woke up at like 10, 
so hungover, painfully so, like hurt to open my eyes. I went down to breakfast and I had to wear my sunglasses. And I kept thinking like the waiter was probably like, oh man, this chick's like on drugs. Cause I was just, I was out of my mind and my body at that point. Yeah. And I remember looking around that hotel room being like, damn, I just wasted a pun, I guess intended. Um, yeah. <laughs> like a really beautiful opportunity to process my feelings. And at the time I had a lot of feelings Yeah, and I sort of looked at that situation and I said to myself, damn, that's kind of cowardly behavior. Like, yeah, like face your feelings. It's okay. And I sort of had a light bulb moment where I knew that if I stopped drinking in the, during the breakup, I would probably get through it a lot faster and cut to, I don't know, maybe two weeks later, someone, one of my friends saw him on a dating app. I had this like shitty interaction with him over on text. And it was a Friday that I'd been working till like 7 p.m. It was like, felt like a Monday. I spilled an $8 latte on myself. I got home and there was a bottle of wine in the kitchen. And I was probably three quarters of the way through that book. And I looked at the bottle of wine and I was like, hmm, like my arm is my arm's kind of reaching for it, but my body, my head, my heart, everything's saying no. And I was like, all right, I guess I don't want it. And that was one of the more pivotal moments. Um, just like a really shitty day on top of like a really shitty couple weeks. And I didn't yeah. want to drink. That's amazing. And also the fact that you were able to just stop, I think is really important to note because you said, and then the doctor said something about struggling with moderation. Do you believe that that's still part of your story, your wiring? Do you struggle with moderation? Do you think you are able to moderate based on how you just stopped? <laughs> I think cold turkey just works for me. Um, yeah, like an all or nothing. Because, yeah, I would, like my roommate, for instance, for you, for instance, can go to dinner, have one glass of wine, and that's it. And to me, I'm mm -hmm. just like, I don't see the point here. Like, I, there were I just, I just couldn't see the point in just one. And in the book, there's something about that. It's like, yes, after one drink, your body chemistry changes, you are happy. But then after that, you try to chase that and you're never going to mm. get back to there the more you go. And um, I think one thing that stood out in the book, and I could definitely apply that to a lot of my nights out is like, was it that fun if you can't remember it? Because um, I was a blackout artist. And the scariest part was <laughs> my personality didn't really change a whole lot when I was drinking. And so no one would notice. Yeah. And then thinking about that on in a positive way is like, well, my personality never changed. So why was I drinking in the first place? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's uh, like something I have to keep in mind when I tell people about this is like, I'm a very, very social person. And I know that a lot of people drink to like loosen up and have fun. And that's totally fine if it's fine with you. Um, but I do come from a serotoninly gifted perspective I think <laughs> with it um like I I had COVID recently because I don't know little throwback moment and <laughs> vintage I was allowed to go back out into society I went to a barbecue and there was maybe like 15 people there I walked in and I was like felt so hammered I was like yes like 15 people I haven't met that I get to make to like become friends with I'm so hyped and so and I did that like totally sober and um it's yeah so I don't know if you want to jump back in the timeline I think that yeah yeah like you said there's more than just 
the breakup, the doctor's appointment, right. and the book, but I'd say those those fast tracked me to where I am now. That was like the three kind of dynamites that like went off and set this new journey in motion. But let's like yeah. rewind those months, years. Like, let's talk about your relationship with alcohol. I know you just kind of brought up like you don't see what the point is of just having one, which I think mm-hmm. might be like a clue into like how you view alcohol in general, perhaps. Sure. And I think maybe a an easier way to frame it up is relating it to eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And once I made the connection to how I felt when I was in my eating disorder and then like how I would always think about drinking, I was, I was much more equipped to deal with it. Um, so I had, a, I had orthorexia and my days were just filled with mathematical gymnastics, caloric calculations of like, oh, I ate this. So I got to eat this. I got to go to the gym on mm-hmm. Friday. I'm going to have pizza. So blah, blah, blah. And it just, it took up so much time and so much yep. mental energy. And once I just, again, cold turkey, I was just like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm over it. Yeah. I felt so much better. And I, yeah, like a little weight lifted off my shoulders because yep. I had time to think about other things and I was more present. And so with drinking towards the end, and I guess the end, you could say maybe like the past seven years, it's that I removed, I removed the constant question of, do I drink too much? Like, what did I say to that person last night? Why did I text them this? And it's like, I wake up every morning and I know exactly what I did, exactly what I said. And I have time to worry about other things (laughs) instead of like, oh, is everyone talking about how much I drank last night? Is, are people worried about me? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it was extremely similar to getting over the eating disorder, I would say. Yeah. in the motivation and kind of that unlock of like, oh, if I just stop doing this, all of those things that are rolling around my head all day, every day will go away. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that both of those decisions, like, I mean, I guess it's not as much a decision as it is like a life change um, with orthorexia and then alcohol as well. Do you think that the shift that you have made has improved your relationships? Totally. I I consider myself a good person. Same. Um, (laughs) But there are definitely some things that I would never share on a podcast that I did um, while drinking that Mm -hmm. wouldn't put me in the category of good person. But more so, I think what's, what's more important to talk about is like just the subtle changes of in this form of sobriety. Like I want to show up for people more and be of service and um, I was home a couple of months ago and my stepmom was planning her brother's funeral and she got sick. And I, I don't, I don't know why that I don't think I would have done this before, but I, I offered, I was like, what's on your list? How can I help you? What can I take mm-hmm. off your plate? And that just felt really good. And, and um, another example, like went to a lacrosse game for one of my nephews, my other nephew, he doesn't play lacrosse. And so he was super bored. And so we just played football, like on the sidelines. And he was so happy. And he told me in person twice, thank you. Like, thank you so much. And then he texted me later that so night. Sweet. And I was just laughing because I'm like, this text message means so much. Like he doesn't understand that yeah. like I was 
taking his like he'll be in the NFL. He's going to be a famous quarterback. And I'm just taking these passes. Like my back was broken and I was (laughs) bruised, but I was like, it's all worth it for the text. But I think those two examples are things that like, I probably would have done before, but they're just coming from a different place of like, I'm not checking a box. I'm not like, oh, I'm just gonna do this. So my sister will be happy that I'm spending time with her son or whatever. My dad will be happy that I'm helping my stepmom. It's just like, I feel it like it's coming from a just a pure like how can I help you and how can like we have fun together kind of way and yeah just more pure and I think the purity is a theme that comes across in all aspects of my life now like drinking is something you do like in high school when you're getting older and then it's like in your 20s and you're partying and part of me feels like removing that I'm like back to being like 14 again but in like a really like a cute way like I just feel I feel good I feel like I got my head on right again and I'm yeah. like I've been restored to like a childlike state of wonder and more like enthusiastically doing the right thing because I want to. Yeah, it sounds like maybe alcohol was impairing you from really connecting with your authentic self and mm-hmm. the like lessening the removal, the eradication whatever has allowed you to really tap back into that, which again also helps you sit with your feelings, which is something that you brought up earlier mm-hmm. about being concerned with being able to be in touch and, you know, working through even difficult feelings. So this eradication is freeing you up to do all of those things. Yeah. And feelings, man. Um, (laughs) If if anyone out there knows anything about sobriety and all that, there's a term called the pink cloud and it's a state of euphoria you may find yourself in, in early sobriety. And it's just like, being on drugs like I mm-hmm. cried looking at a, at a cloud one day like <laughs> I just I drove to Arizona and I could have kept driving like all the way to Europe I was just so high on this like how good I felt and how like nice everything was yeah. and how nice I was and they do tell you to be careful with those feelings of the pink cloud because it, it does eventually come to an end. And so, yeah, without the numbing agent of alcohol, it's like you're able to feel everything. And spoiler alert, not everything feels great. And yeah. <laughs> and for a while, you're just like, oh, my God, yeah, like, I'm not drunk or hungover anymore. I'm such a good person now. <laughs> and then And then eventually you're, you know face with something else (laughs) comes up and I do things I'm like oh fuck I can't blame it on drinking anymore like this is an actual character defect that I need to look at but reframe like that's okay because now I can hear it and I can Mm -hmm. see it and I can work on it yeah and so you're like given this gift of responsibility of like I know so much now about myself and how I work and I can hear myself thinking and so it's you're armed with all this information and I think that's pretty cool to be able to do something about it instead of just like, well, guess I'll go get a beer and not think about it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. And what kind of brings up, uh, what this brings up for me, I guess, as your friend, like we've talked about this privately, obviously, but from the outside, someone who is, uh, I guess, outside, but still close to you, I have drank with you, I have traveled with you, but I've never looked at you and said like, oh, she has a drinking problem. Maybe I should intervene, which then kind of as like someone who cares about you, I'm like, should I have noticed? But it kind of also (laughs) goes to show you like how normalized drinking is culturally, how normal it is to just go get a beer when you're feeling sad. Did that 
and how how normal it was for me to drink like 25 Aperol spritzes and positive with exactly. you. <laughs> so we're on vacation. Okay? We're traveling. Um, but did that normalization make it hard for you to evaluate whether or not you needed to make changes? Totally. And add living in New York on top of it. Yeah, it's like, I've heard that so many times yeah. from so many sources. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I've been gearing up for this, uh, life change unbeknownst to me, I think for like quite a while. And just, I would, I would just rationalize it so much and be like, well, blah, blah, who I go out with all the time drinks way more than me. Right. But like, I could, if that's the way you look at it, like, yeah, I never would have stopped drinking here. It's a city that revolves around it. And yeah, normalized in my family. I, there's one person in my family, my brother who hasn't drank in like I don't know, maybe 12 years. Wow. Um, but other than that, it's like, we're, we're a drinking family. I remember I sort of fell in love with a sober person um, a couple of years ago and I was telling my parents about him and they're both like, you can't date a sober guy. What are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where doesn't help. Very, very normalized <laughs> in society and my family. And, but to your point, like I, I would tell people, oh yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. I'm not drinking right now. And the the looks you get, the the questions you get, and it goes over this in the book that I read. And this is, it's funny to be on the other side of it because I used to be the person she's talking about, but it's true. You tell people you stop drinking and they immediately list off all the reasons they still do. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't ask. Like, you don't need to justify it. It's fine. But it's, you can tell it's, sometimes it's coming from a place of like, they're insecure because you've brought up something that maybe they've been thinking about. And right. that's how it always was for me. And maybe like, if we're still on the movie thing, like that was the foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. If like, I would meet someone like you, for instance, who would just have one and the feelings that would come up for me were like jealousy for one. Ah. Like, how do they do that? I'm really jealous. Like, that sounds nice. Fear, a lot of fear of like, fuck, am I going to have to stop drinking? Okay. And so I think those, those, oh, and like admiration too. Like, I just think I thought that was really cool and very noble, Um, (laughs) but it just seemed so unattainable to me because I chose every, everything was a reason to drink, you know, and that's very classic. Like you use it to celebrate, you use it to commiserate, Mm -hmm. like you use it because you stubbed your toe and you spilled your $8 latte on you and your ex-boyfriend's a dick bag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) (laughs) And, but yeah, so to answer your question, three minutes later, yes, it, that was definitely hard. And that's a a way that, a way of thinking that kept me from this decision for so long. It's so normalized. Do you wish that any of us had intervened at any point? No. Okay. I think, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was hoping your answer was because I have a lot of guilt as a friend. (laughs) Oh, please don't. No, because like you, like you've said, like I've said, like I drank a lot, but didn't really like affect me in like catastrophic ways. So right, right. maybe a good segue. I started going to AA uh, just out of curiosity. Yeah, fast forward and... in the timeline to your first AA meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that no one stood up when they introduced themselves. And I stood up like it was the first day of school. And I was like, Cheyenne, I am an alcoholic. Uh, this is day 38. <laughs> And just like saying the word alcoholic, like hearing it and feeling it come out of my mouth. I was like, I don't think I am. Yeah. And like one of the first rules of AA, I mean, the the first main one I think is like 
a desire to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. So I definitely had that one requirement down, but then it, then it's like, you have to admit you're powerless to alcohol. And I remember speaking to one of the guys who runs one of the meetings around here. And I was like, well, do you, I was about to say his name. Yeah. Uh, not <laughs> anonymous. That's not, not very anonymous of me. I was like, I quit drinking on my own. So how would, how am I powerless to it? Yeah. And he was like, well, would you say you were powerless to it when you were actively drinking? And he kind of got me on that one because like I've hinted at moderation wasn't my whole bag. Mm -hmm. But yeah, being in AA, there's so much focus on not drinking and it's, it's really helpful for the majority of people there. Yeah. I would assume or they wouldn't keep going. But for me, putting so much attention on it Uh and like going to three meetings a week, finding a sponsor that I had to text every morning. I was like damn, this is going to make me want to drink. Like I liked it so much better. I was so much more confident in my decision before I went to AA because, okay. and this is, this goes back to the book I read, um, this while, or this naked mind by Annie Grace. It's like, it's not taking willpower when it's just your decision. Right. And I think naturally like humans want to rebel. And so that book was like the psychology and all the information in it. It led me to a place where I was like, oh yeah, why? why did I do that? I don't, I actually don't like how that made me feel. So I am in charge here. Like I'm not going to do this. And then it's subtle. And, but for me, it didn't work at AA because it was like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. can't, Mm -hmm. can't." And I'm like, you tell me I can't do something. I'm going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) A different kind of psychological compulsion. (laughs) Yeah. For the record, I have not yet um, relapsed, if you will. Um, And I don't think I will, but being in there is just, it becomes your life if you do it in the way that, you know, everyone in there was telling me to do it. And it just, it kind of felt like I was doing undercover reporting. Like, and I, I felt like I wasn't taking it super seriously. I was like, Ooh, free coffee, candy, hot (laughs) guys. Like, you know, and I was just kind of like goofing off and it felt, it almost felt disrespectful to the people who really needed it. Yeah. I get that. Clearly was like kind of making me feel like I was going backwards a little bit. Okay. I mean, it just goes to show you how there are different things for different people and like addiction or struggles with alcohol looks different for every person. And there's a different structure for each individual. And that clearly works for a lot of people, but not for you. And that's fine. Yeah. And and most of the people I've met in AA have been so understanding and sweet. And one guy checked on me because I actually hadn't left the organization yet, but I got COVID. So I wasn't going to meetings and he checked on me, which I thought was so nice. And that's like indicative of a lot of the people there. Just like you, people are just like, here, take my number and like actually text you and check on you. It's, I like that part about it because I love community and meeting people, but (laughs) um, he was the one who was, (laughs) he was like, I totally get it. And like, he sent me a program that is for people who don't drink, but who don't really want to do the whole AA thing. And okay. I think that's pretty cool. And I've, I've seen a lot of that crop up, um, just like different ways to go about your sobriety. Yeah. And I, I actually went to a bar the other night and I was like, oh, do you have any NA beers? And they're like, oh, we're all out of them. And I was like, damn, sobriety is really trendy. Huh? <laughs> Sobriety's and popping so off like, right I now. <laughs> feel, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are getting on, on that or just like cutting down and yep you know, marketing brain, I looked at, um, the like trends and like, (laughs) I can't think marketing brain over here, (laughs) but like, you know, like the industry, like it really is there. Like if I knew anything about investing and money, I would totally put my money in non-alcoholic 
beverage yep. industry mocktails right now, feels like yeah yeah I haven't seen that come in yeah. for a long time which is fun to like yes. actually see something you predict catch on but yeah mm-hmm. back when I lived in San Francisco and I would see these kind of sober but not like but not like sober as in like oh we have like an addiction or anything kind of like all-inclusive sober like I just don't want to drink events and they would be like day parties night parties like cruises and all the stuff that was happening without alcohol and then you know you start seeing mocktails pop up on menus in really big cities. And I'm like, oh, I really hope this does catch on because even if you're not quitting it entirely, it's so nice to not feel pressured to have to drink because you're at a restaurant, because you're at an event, when it's just kind of an autopilot choice instead of something deliberate. Like, I don't want to order a cocktail just because I'm at a restaurant. I want to actually want that cocktail and like seek it for a specific reason. And I feel like a lot of our choices are on autopilot when it comes to alcohol. Do you feel similarly? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Very much autopilot. Just like, yeah, we're going to dinner. We're watching a movie. Like it, it was always in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everywhere. And, yeah. But then like, just to go back to the effectiveness of this book and also like clearly the nudge from my doc- doctor, like I finished the book as I was landing in Miami for the first time. And it was like Valentine's Day weekend, freshly single with all my hot girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God damn it, the book worked. Like, <laughs> I don't want to drink in Miami. What yeah. in the world? Like, what sorcery is this? <laughs> but I, at that point, I, I had just finished the book. It was only a month or so of not drinking. No, no, no. I had my last drink February 9th and I went to Miami like two days later. So I had made no, no decisions yet, but I kind of looked at Miami as a test and yeah, you like, I don't, have you been to Miami? Yep. Yeah. Not like, not like cool Miami. I've just like been there. (laughs) But to like go there and have that much fun, complete, I was about to say completely sober. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just, for the record, (laughs) I am Brooklyn sober. I'm California. <laughs> California sober. sober. Yeah. So I'm still smoking weed and all that mushrooms. That's it. Uh, but to have so much fun there, I was like, okay, that's something like yeah. I never in a million years would have thought I could go to Miami and sit by a pool and just like drink coffee and water. Right. A lot of coffee, a lot of coffee. Yeah. Um, that stereotype of AA is definitely true. But then it was funny. I got back to New York and the next weekend I went out with friends and just to like the bars that we always go to. And I was like, oh, no, 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 this this is the test. Like, yeah, this is just a normal weekend. And it was clear to me that like we definitely use alcohol just to like make things more fun or seem more fun. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got to the bar, I, like the itchiness that I was feeling went away and I, I had a great time with my friends. And that was something that I loved in the book. It's like she asks you like think about parties and why you go. Like you probably have fun because there's alcohol there. And then she goes, she gives an analogy and she's like, imagine a kindergarten class on the first day. Those kids are really awkward for the first, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the day, they're all friends. And it's like, that's so true. It's like, it's going to be awkward no matter what, just give it some time and you loosen up and it's not the alcohol. It's just like talking to people and getting to know them. Yep. And parties are fun because your friends are there. Yeah. It's not fun because the alcohol is there. I wonder if we lose that kind of like acumen for socializing without a crutch because alcohol is so integrated into everything that we do. So it's like, oh, we stopped building that muscle, you know, after middle school, high school, 
whatever it, you know, whatever that timeline looks yeah. like for you. And then if you do end up going sober, like you did, it's like, oh, can I still do this? Like, is it muscle memory? Like, did it come back to you like muscle memory? Yeah, kind of. I remember I went to brunch with a, with a friend who was in town and all of her guy friends came and it was like 30 minutes had gone by and I was like, oh shit, I am awkward. Like maybe I do want a mimosa. But then literally like the 31 minute mark, I was like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> like we all became friends and it was so fun. So definitely, yeah, it comes back for sure. I mean, that's, um, that's good news for anyone who's a little bit nervous listening and, you know, sober curious. That's positive. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's a good segue into dating. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. You are the um, most Libra Libra I have ever met. You go on more dates than anyone <laughs> I've ever met. And I mean that with the <laughs> utmost praise and respect. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> most of the time they were like, let's get drinks. Like if I heard that one more time, I probably would have gotten sober before if someone <laughs> asked me, let's get drinks again. Um, but now it's coffee dates or, or I'll go to a bar and get a non-alcoholic drink. But, um, I was feeling so good about every area of my life in my early sobriety, but I, I was scared of dating, but I wasn't going to let that stop me <laughs> maybe because I'm the most Libra. Libra I've ever met. <laughs> so I trudged on and to my surprise, it was just, it's been really, really rewarding. I did go, my first sober dinner date was not good. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, we've had like, you know, not sober dinner dates that are not good. So that's, that's okay. Yes. And I think like the next night or two nights later, I went on another dinner date and I, it became clear that the first date was with that other guy was just not fun because we weren't a good match. And right. this guy, like, you know, I was dead sober and we made out in a bodega in the cat, in the cat food, food section. section I remember that story. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, cool. You don't need like a glass of wine or three to make out with a stranger from the internet. You just have to like want to and them to want to too. Uh, <laughs> I will say and, that even whilst drunk, I don't think I've ever made out with a stranger from the internet. <laughs> Somehow, I think that was also my first time, <laughs> but <laughs> it it was it was really spooky for me to think back on any initial physical contact with someone in my adult dating life had always been lubricated, so to speak, mm -hmm. like with alcohol. You know, it'd always be like a little buzz, like oh, meet a guy at a bar, make out in the corner, and to look back and be like, whoa, I haven't had sober sex like with a partner for the first time ever. Like yeah. I've had sober sex because I was in a relationship for 10 years and then whatever. Like I've definitely had sober sex, but the first time I never have ever been sober until now. And it's just, I'll, I'll leave it at this. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a really common experience to be honest. Yeah. Imagine that it feels better when you can like feel things. No, like uh, needing alcohol to initiate yeah. with someone new. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're not alone in that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, I had that realization and I started telling people and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm like, no, Yo, same. Me, me too. <laughs> 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 Again, extremely normalized. Right? Um, yes. But that also leads me to the best things that you have appreciated about cutting out alcohol. What other positive changes? I think the, the term is anxiety, just um, mm -hmm. removing that. And there's so many things that fall under the umbrella of anxiety, like having to delete Instagram stories from the night before mm -hmm. and like seeing how many people saw them before you did that. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but I think um, just the ease and like swiftness, I'm able to deal with anything that comes up that I don't feel good about. Um, there's like a newfound sense of maturity. Like I never used to look at my bank account. <laughs> okay. It's a scary place sometimes. Yeah, I get it. And now I'm just like, sometimes I look and it's still scary, but I like, I can handle it. And I do things to fix that. I like, don't let my mail sit around forever with all my bills. And I just, I feel more equipped on every level. That's beautiful. Like I'm much better at my job. I'm a better roommate. I'm a better friend, sister, aunt, daughter, all those things. Full send Cheyenne think, personality. <laughs> I think also creativity has come back. A okay. Lot. Um, yeah. That, and that's been probably one of my favorite things. Okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And just like the time you have, I feel like I have much more time now to devote to my hobbies that mm -hmm. I really enjoy. And there's something funny, at least in my experience with early sobriety is like, I feel all these like, like, uh, like I want to get into cars or something. Like I want to <laughs> become like a bird watcher, like adult hobbies. Watercolor. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm yeah, an adult hobby evangelist. Yourself, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel myself being called to like all these areas of culture that I wasn't before. And that was also cool. Like when I first went to the doctor and he was saying, Oh, you can never drink again. And I was like, well, can't live in New York. But I was like, <laughs> going to move to LA or something Yeah, where it's like health. And like, you can just like go for a walk and pick a lemon. And I do, yes. that lifestyle does call out to me, but I actually had the opposite in New York. I was like, Oh, I want to see everything this place has. And, and I think you get into just like a routine, like a drunken routine of going to the same five places. And I've been branching out and just like going to different coffee shops and get, getting out of Brooklyn and going to the city and just exploring more and like going to more shows has been really fun. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just, uh, as simple as also like being able to feel and remember all those things. Yeah. I'm super stoked for you, obviously. Before we mm -hmm. get too into like everything is wonderful, I'd love to like layer it a little bit with what has been the hardest part for you of doing all this. Yeah. One instance jumps out at me. So I, I've been seeing someone casually, cannot emphasize that enough, extremely casually. Um, <laughs> and there was one weekend where I felt I was like oh no I like him and as a woman you know <laughs> oh, that's no. never good oh no I'm like oh fuck <laughs> I just like saw him with his friends I was like oh crap I like you and yeah that never like puts me in a good place <laughs> because I have anxious attachment and so classic out, and like the next day I just I got hit with that very familiar feeling of like just relationship anxiety of being like I like him and I don't know if he likes me as much as I like him. And I was tail as old as time. Tail like as <laughs> old as fucking time. It's so so tragic. I was out with all my girlfriends, and it was like a nice Sunday. They were day drinking, and I was watching them just have so much like carefree fun. And I all day I was like, Do I have? Am I like a sober loser? Like, do I really oh. want to drink with them? Is this like making me feel like FOMO. othered and shitty? Mm -hmm. And then. I hadn't realized it was about the guy yet until the next day. And then it was like 10 PM and 
they were like, I could just tell the night was going to be fun. Like they were, they were on one and it was going to be like a good, like they'll always talk about it kind of night. And, but I was really hungry and I was, I was really tired. And that's one thing about sobriety again, like you can hear yourself and I was like, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Oh, no, I'm not having fun. And I'm going to go home now. Yeah. And I get that. <laughs> yeah. Like I woke up at 3 a.m. with the lights on and HBO still on. <laughs> and my my roommate wasn't home yet. And I was like, mm, they're probably having so much fun. And so that was, I just felt like, I felt sad for myself a little bit that like I wasn't able to like access how much fun they were having. <laughs> and then it was the day later that I was like, oh, it's because I fe- I felt weird about bleep and um, <laughs> and I normally met the muscle memory would be just drink through it and like you know have like a couple of drinks you feel like oh I'm fine like I'm confident he likes me and if he doesn't that's okay because like I'm a hot girl whatever like the <laughs> thing that alcohol tells you for sure and so it's like I've made this decision to sit in my feelings and I have so much faith now that like a bad day is just a bad day and or a couple of days and those feelings always pass and that proved to be true. And I, you know, I know now that like alcohol wasn't the answer there. The answer is like talking to the person I'm seeing and being like, yo, where are you at? Which by the way, I haven't done yet, <laughs> but <laughs> I do know that that's the answer and drinking is not for me. <laughs> um, amazing character arc, first of all. <laughs> yeah, because I probably would have gotten drunk and texted him like, do you like me? <laughs> And now we're not doing those things. No. <laughs> guess what? I still don't really know. <laughs> Histories, mysteries. <laughs> yeah. So I think like, I think that's the hardest part is like sometimes going out and watching everyone get like fun drunk. Like I do, I yeah. I'll admit it. Like I miss that. Like I was, that's the thing. I wasn't, I wasn't a mean drunk. I wasn't like right. I never put anyone in danger or, nor myself. And so Sometimes it's like easy to think like, oh, I could just have one, blah, blah, blah. But then the logic kicks in and you're like, well, what would one do, you know? Right. And that's something that is going to be a constant, I feel like, journey for you until you, I don't know. I don't know if any of us ever feel settled in our decisions. So in terms of like feeling settled and like knowing you made the right choice, if you could go back to Cheyenne in January, she's obviously very vulnerable and going through a lot. What would you say to her and what advice would you give her? I would say kind of what I just said, like everything passes. And and I've always held that to be true. I remember my first breakup, my mom wrote me a note and she said, time heals all wounds. And I was like, leave me alone, Lauren. (laughs) But you know what? She was right. She's always right. Hi, mom. Um, (laughs) And it is, that is such a cliche, but it's so true. Like it really does heal all wounds. And I guess I didn't know in January, but I had a couple wounds One was, you know, recent heartbreak. And then the other was healing this like emotional turmoil wound that I had in me when it was just the the constant questioning of like, yeah, addiction is just so crazy because it's like 50% of you wants to stop doing something and the other 50% would rather die than stop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that obviously it's not a very peaceful way to exist. And so healing that, I would tell her, I would tell her to, to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's also the third wound that is your liver. Like, how is she doing? Oh, well, I found the world's worst doctor. He's in Bushwick. If anyone's looking. <laughs> don't go to him. I don't know. I still, I think I know. I don't know. It's been a couple months and like 
7,000 rounds of blood work and I yeah. finally got a different doctor. Thank God. Yeah. I, I We're good. The, yeah. the ultrasound came back splotchy, which could be fat deposits, which then would like lead to cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, the doctor told me he got one round of blood work back and he was like, okay, like you're, you're okay for now. But if you keep drinking the way you are, you won't be, you will die in 10 years. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think like as time has gone by, it's really easy for me to realize that I was more concerned with the fact that he said I couldn't drink again than the fact that he said I was going to die in 10 years. And that says it all like that. Yep. That should yep. have been my first clue that I had a bit of an emotional dependency on alcohol. Yep. If his words of dire warning, I was like, F you. But no, wine on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but, but wine on my birthday. Excuse me. A very important day. <laughs> Aperol spritz in Italy. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have enjoyed like mocktails and non-alcoholic beers. And I feel like that's been a really fun thing that probably gives you some support. So the last thing I will ask is what has been a really supportive structure, person, environment, what have you for this journey that someone else listening might be able to benefit from as well? Well, first of all, I want to shout out everyone I know, like all my friends, all my family have been, oh, I think my parents have been a little bit like, what are you doing? Um, but, <laughs> but, but so happy for me. Like every, no one has questioned it. Yeah. And thought that I was like having a mental breakdown for doing this. Um, <laughs> good. But <laughs> outside of that, I, I have some sober friends and a lot of them are now from AA, but there were a couple of people in my circle prior, including my brother, um, who don't drink and talking to them is really, really helpful because there's some things that like other people just don't understand. Um, and so just having someone who's going through something similar or who has like gone through it already and is still doing it. I think that I mean, yeah. applies to any situation you might be in, but it's just so helpful to be like, Hey, I'm feeling this way normal or not. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. The community and social support, I feel like is probably integral to your continued yeah. success. Yep. And I think Lagunitas um, has a really good NA beer. It's so funny. There's like non-alcoholic everything now. Mm -hmm. There's non-alcoholic seltzers. And I'm like, okay, so soda. So it's they LaCroix. Like, back to soda. <laughs> We've Got made a it. full circle moment to LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> um, just like, you know, having something in your hand. I think a lot of it for me is oral fixation or was. And yeah, yeah. no, I get that. Um, but yeah, just I've, I'm so lucky to have so many nice people in my life, so many nice supportive people. And on top of that, nice supportive sober people. Yay. Well, that's like honestly great advice for anyone who might be listening and thinking like, maybe I'm going to explore this too. Social support and community, people who have a common experience, people who know what you're going through, that's going to be really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can be one of those people for you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if anyone wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Instagram, I okay. would say. And I will link to that in the description so you don't have to spell it out or anything. You can just click on it. Um, Cheyenne, thank you so much for being so open and so vulnerable about such a personal experience. We are all so proud of you. I'm obviously yeah, always no, cheering for you. <laughs> Literally can't shut me up if you tried. So it's my pleasure. <laughs> well, let's do it again sometime. Let's talk more. <laughs> okay, wait, one more thing I want to add. Yeah. AA, there's like a lot of religion in it. And everyone's like, oh, you left. Was it the religion that bothered you? And I was like, actually, no. Like something about 
sobriety has opened me up to being more spiritual in a way that is new and different. And I'm totally cool with it. I love that for you. They call it like the cash and prizes. Like once you get sober, like your higher power just like gives and gives and gives and like all the things you've ever wanted become yours. And sounds like a lot. I felt that a little (laughs) bit. Like I was presented with like opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten when I was sober. Like someone reached out about me helping with their program that's like, yeah, for people who are getting sober but don't want to have anything to do with AA. And I was the last person you would have thought of to help with that before. Correct. Um, (laughs) But here we are. But then it was so, I was having a lot of like anguish thinking about how to leave AA and tell my sponsor and all that. And the day that I, the day after I broke up with my sponsor and told her I was taking a step back, I got an email from the woman who wrote that book that I keep talking about. And she wants me to be on her podcast. I'm like, oh, that's my like post AA higher power giving me a little gift. That's so fun. Yeah. Well, you can keep talking. That's great news for you. Yeah. I was just <laughs> anyone, anyone that wants to listen. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, you're talking about stuff that can really help people make a positive change to their lives, to their health, to their relationships, like every single level. So thank you for taking such, truly, I keep saying it, like an open, vulnerable experience that a lot yeah. of people would keep to the close to the chest. Thank you for sharing that with people so that they can heal. My pleasure. Um, We love you. I love you. Talk to you in five minutes. Just to be like responsible and stuff, I do want to mention that if you are struggling with alcohol dependency or addiction and you need immediate help, you can call or text the SAMHSA hotline, S-A-M-H-S-A, I think that's how you say it. Text 988 if you are in crisis right now or call 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. This is the national helpline from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. It's free, it's confidential, and they're available 24-7, 365 days a year. They provide treatment, referral, and information services in both English and Spanish for anyone dealing with mental and or substance use disorders. You can also visit them at samhsa.gov.gov. I hope this episode inspired you, supported you, and helped give some context and validation to whatever you are experiencing at this point in time. It feels weird to do a This Is Mine segment after this kind of topic, so we'll skip that for today. But next week, we've got a lot of things that I'm currently obsessed with, so stay tuned for that. Okay, I'll leave that here for now. I love you, babies. A so. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of This Is Fine. I've been your host, Dominique Michelle Astorino. We're based in San Diego, recording in studio at DLI Productions in Pacific Beach with Emmy Award-winning sound designer Dan De La Isla. This is a comedy and advice podcast, but for legal reasons, this entire podcast is a joke and none of it is medical advice. To download the transcript or learn more, visit thisisfinepodcast.com. 